right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on on this Monday? I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson on a vacation still. He'll be back tomorrow. So another edition of Nick Chalk Sports Talk. On this Monday, another packed show, big noon kickoff coming to Lawrence. We'll dive into that. Uh, KU Volleyball got a win on national television over the weekend. Josh Briscoe is going to join the show coming up later on in about uh, 40 minutes or so to talk about the Chiefs. Case of the Mondays, we'll look around the rest of the Big 12 over the weekend after KU's bye week. Get into some early KU and Oklahoma thoughts as well ahead of homecoming this weekend. Plus, Lance Leipold spoke with the media. We'll get to that audio later on in the show. So, a lot going on today here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's start right there with Big Noon Kickoff announcing they're coming to Lawrence. Uh, I had this discussion. I brought it up on the show about the fact that... So, the game was announced. The KU-Oklahoma game was announced to be 11 a.m. on Fox last week. And when that happened... I was like, okay, well, doesn't that just mean that you're guaranteed to get Big Noon Kickoff because that's the noon game on Fox? Like, wouldn't that make the most sense? But I had to wait. They they didn't announce where they were coming until over this weekend, in which they did confirm that uh, Fox Big Noon, Big Noon Kickoff will be coming to Lauren. Now, that raises uh, a number of questions. Most notably to me is... And we had this conversation last year with College Game Day about where they're going to set up. Where where is where is this pregame show going to take place? Uh, with College Game Day, it ended up just being on the hill. But if you've been to Lawrence, if you've been to a KU game recently, you may have noticed that part of the hill has been under construction now uh, for a, the past, I would say, over a month now, at least, if not more. Uh, and they still have it. Last I, In fact, last I saw, literally yesterday, actually, I happened to be over on campus and noticed... Uh, that they, they still have part of the hill constructioned off, basically. Uh, so, to me, that raises some questions about the potential of where they're going to set up the, the big noon show. And um, Because, yeah, with, with the college game day game, college game day last year for the TCU game, they were pretty much right on the hill. And I, I don't know, assuming that that construction, whatever, whatever the hell they got going on there, assuming that is not done which I don't I don't I don't I don't know uh that'd be probably a bit difficult to do so uh, I'm I'm curious to see where they might set up I you know in my mind I was thinking okay well I think you could easily pass I mean if it's possible set up kind of at the base of the hill facing back up towards the hill and have fans kind of fill in behind you know on the hill uh which would probably work but yeah I don't know and also you know a uh, big noon is it's obviously not something that is as big of a draw as college game day, I would say. But I would think there probably still might be people showing up, you know. So 
that's something to keep an eye on. Also, something interesting to note about uh, this game is that, okay, you're getting big noon kickoff if you're KU. You are at 11 a.m. on Fox, so not FS, you're on Fox. You would think that that would mean that you'd be getting the number one broadcast crew for Fox, which I think at this point you would assume is Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt. Well, that's not the case. They are Joel, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt are going out to uh, the Utah-Oregon game, and instead the broadcast crew for Fox for this game is going to be Jason Benetti and Brock Heward. So I thought that was a little curious. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's not. I don't really have much more to offer on that other than just I thought it was a little interesting. But, uh, yeah, nonetheless, it's still very, very exciting. Lance Leipold touched on this in his press conference today, which we'll get to the audio later on in the show. But basically saying, you know, hey, it's another opportunity to showcase the program, showcase the progress that K football has made. And, you know, Lance Leipold didn't come out and say it, but I got the sense that maybe it was kind of on the tip of his tongue and maybe he was thinking about it, which is – all that is great, but you, we KU's got to show up and, and obviously perform on the field right on Saturday. Like it's great to have all the pregame fanfare and all that stuff, but you you want to show up on the field and have a strong performance. Um, so that was kind of what I was taking away from Lance Leipold speaking today. And he, he didn't come out and just he didn't come out and say that, but that was kind of maybe the sense that I got a little bit was you know all that stuff is great. It's great to showcase the athletic department and and it's great to showcase. K football and, and all that and yada 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 but at the end of the day you got to come out and play football against a against a really good Oklahoma team that while they're coming off of a, an interesting game I think to say the least against UCF uh, this is still a top 10 team and still a really really good team that's had a lot of success against Kansas in the past so much success so in fact that KU hasn't beaten Oklahoma since 1996 I think pretty sure I have that right 1997 1997 was the last time that KU beat Oklahoma. So we're talking 25, 26 years here. And it's great that big noon kickoff and all that is coming to, to Lawrence, but I think certainly what's most important in the inside of those walls of Anderson Family Football Complex is preparing to hopefully get a win. Uh, so we'll, we'll do a little early edition of Fun With Numbers because there were some numbers we didn't really get to towards the end of last week just because of Big 12 Media Day and all that audio and everything and, and so on and so forth. So some fun with numbers for, for KU this week heading into the Oklahoma game. Most notably is you're giving up 27.4 points per game as, as a defense, which that's actually, comparatively speaking, really good. But it is still not fantastic. Uh, you know, I think you'd like to see a little bit better. So... It's uh, it is. Let's see, eleventh in the Big Twelve right now, in in scoring defense at twenty seven point four points per game. So, uh, again, not fantastic, but certainly a lot better than where Kansas has been. And I think you would feel a lot better about that number if it wasn't for the performance he had against Oklahoma State before the bye week, where the defense really struggled and had a hard time doing much. And I think the other big concern heading into the game against Oklahoma is the fact that it's clear that Brian Borland and this defense for KU, they still have not fully figured out how to really stop slash slow down tempo offenses. That seems to be their biggest bugaboo is is tempo, is offenses that are running a lot of plays, offenses that are running quickly. And guess what? That's exactly what Oklahoma does. So uh, that that might be a little bit more concerning. And I think you would – I think if you if – you, 
right now said Oklahoma's going to score 27 points or 28 points, which is what you're allowing on the season for KU, I think you would take that in a heartbeat if you're Kansas. I mean, that would be really, really good. That'd be Oklahoma's lowest scoring total against Kansas in, in a long time. I mean, going back to 10-plus years at that point. So you will, you look at what Oklahoma's done against KU uh, with Brian Borland. You have last season's game, obviously, which did not go well, 52-42 uh, win for, for Oklahoma. 2021 season, just a really bizarre game. Oklahoma only scored 35 points in that one, which that that 35-point total was the lowest for Oklahoma since 2009. So I guess, you know, but again, that, that was – it's hard to really – take away too much because that was just a weird that was just a weird game that was just one of those one of those weird games uh, that that's kind of hard to hard to explain so who knows uh and then you go further down the line on the defense for Kansas when you look at the numbers opposing quarterbacks are completing 66 percent of their passes and I think this might be something that was frustrating maybe from the fan perspective looking at the game from a macro perspective against Oklahoma State was Oklahoma State it was clear that they had a strategy to get the ball out of Olin out of Alan Bowman's hands quickly in that game against Kansas and Kansas. It didn't really feel like ever adjusted to that significantly. They, they, they were kind of letting Oklahoma state throw some of those shorter passes and, and letting them be open and allowing Alan Bowman to just kind of move the ball down the field using short completions. And you look at Bo- you look at uh, Bowman's numbers from that game and he was very efficient and really, really good. Against Kansas, and that's that's what's more frustrating about that, considering the fact that he had not been that good uh, previously. I mean, twenty-eight, forty-one, three hundred thirty-six yards, two touchdowns for for Bowman against Kansas. So probably a little bit frustrating on, on that from that standpoint. So you'd like to see maybe, may, I don't know, maybe can Kansas can make some adjustments in this game against Oklahoma. But Oklahoma right now has four receivers with over four hundred yards receiving on, on the season. So. What that basically means is you're going to have a hard time keying in on one guy and trying to slow down one guy. It's clear that they are comfortable spreading the ball around and they have the talent to do so and do so effectively. Uh, so that'll be something to to consider uh, as well. And, and also, Kansas, the, the defense has also given up over 200 rushing yards in their last three consecutive games. Now, that, that is a bit of an interesting stat because of the fact that now you're facing an Oklahoma team that has not been good rushing so far this season, averaging only just 168 yards rushing uh, this season, which is ninth in the Big 12 for Oklahoma so far this season. No more Eric Gray, uh, so they don't maybe necessarily have that NFL-level running back to go to. Uh, Dylan Gabriel has actually been rushing, I would say, quite a bit more maybe than you would expect uh, up to this point in the season. He actually leads Oklahoma in, in rushing touchdowns with five of them. So we'll see what happens in this game. I mean... I'll just put it this way. If Oklahoma is able to rush for over 200 yards on top of the fact that you expect their passing offense to, to probably be pretty strong, that would be very alarming. I think that would be very, very alarming for Kansas and really not a great sign at all. So hopefully you don't let that happen if you're Kansas in this game. And and again, I, the Oklahoma State game was kind of a confluence of everything going wrong for the defense. It felt like the struggle to tackle, couldn't get pressure because you were playing a bit banged up on the D-line and and uh, things just kind of snowballed from there, and you, and you had a hard time. But So you'd like to see maybe after the bye week uh, a chance to bounce back and have a better defensive performance. But, I mean, you look at Oklahoma, their passing offense is first in the Big 12 and seventh in the country. So you know they're going to be able to pass the ball probably pretty effectively 
So if you can't stop them running the ball, that just is going to compound all of your issues if you're the Kansas defense uh, in this game uh, against the Sooners. So that that's that would be, like I said, pr- pretty alarming, I would say, if that ends up being the case. Uh, you definitely want to make sure that you're you're stopping the the HB dives, hopefully from from Oklahoma, uh, because otherwise you're just you're just going to put yourself in a world of pain, I think, and maybe have flashbacks to the game uh, against Oklahoma last season where you really really struggled, and even though it ended up being a ten point game, I don't think the outcome of that game was really ever in doubt beyond like the second quarter, so. You'd like to see a little bit more of a, of a stronger showing there. Uh, you, you look at the offensive side of the ball, or we'll do. Well, let's get to one more fun with numbers here on the defensive side. And as I mentioned, the, the defensive line has been playing banged up. Uh, and you go back to the Oklahoma State game, Austin Booker was playing with a knee brace. Jamie Robinson, not 100%. Hayden Hatcher's been hardly able to play, it's, it seemed like. Uh, and you've had to rely a little bit more on your depth. But you look at Jamie Robinson in the last two games. Three tackles, zero tackles for loss, zero sacks. Hayden Hatcher's last two games in very limited action, just one tackle. And Austin Booker, even though he, on the stat sheet, he did jump out with uh, nine tackles to tie for the team lead against Oklahoma State. He did not have as quick of a first step in the pass rush, it seemed like, and wasn't able to get as much pressure or as much juice in the pass rush uh, in that game against Oklahoma State that we had seen from him previously. Uh, So hopefully the bye week has given those guys an opportunity to get a little bit more healthy. Uh, Lance Leipold did not sound very optimistic about Hayden Hatcher uh, earlier today when speaking to the to the media, basically saying that he he was able to do some stuff today, but didn't seem overly optimistic. Jamie Robinson has not been 100%. Lance Leipold did not offer any specific update on him. Uh, there was nothing given about Austin Booker after seeing him in a knee brace last week. So hopefully those guys are, are back close to 100% after the bye week and have a chance to rest up. But you're going to need your D-line probably to, to step up and have a, have a pretty big game against Oklahoma if you want to try to slow down the passing game of, of the Sooners. I think you have to come into this game almost with a mentality for Kansas of recognizing Oklahoma's probably going to get theirs in terms of stats, in terms of moving the ball a little bit. But can you come up with clutch, clutch plays? Can you put some pressure on Dylan Gabriel? Can you get some, some stops maybe in the red zone or force some turnovers, things like that? Because I, I just it just feels like this Oklahoma offense is going to be able to move the ball pretty successfully. Um, against you if you're Kansas through the air. They have done that against a lot of teams they face this season. They've been vulnerable. They've been a little inconsistent. You go back to like the SMU game where they just were kind of very lethargic. You look at uh, the UCF game last week where they still ended up putting up pretty good numbers, I think. But but there's there's some chinks in the armor, I guess, so to speak, for Oklahoma. But I would expect Oklahoma to be able to probably move the ball against Kansas. So you're going to have to look to your D-line, I think, for sort of those uh, clutch plays and clutch moments on third downs and in the red zone and whatnot. On the offensive side of the ball, uh, Lance Leipold, he, the, the update he gave on Jalen Daniels was a non-update, really. It was very interesting, though. He, he was asked about Jalen Daniels and basically said simultaneously that he was optimistic about Jalen playing, but that also Jalen was doubtful. Uh, and then he kind of said that Jalen was questionable. So kind of, uh, I, I don't know, it seemed like more smoke and mirrors from Lance Leipold, which I don't think is, should be that surprising. Uh, given the track record, but but yeah, I don't know that I would use the term optimistic and doubtful in the same sentence when describing the chances of you you know your your starting quarterback playing uh, on Saturday. But 
I don't know. I guess that's kind of what you expect at this point. That's that's what you're going to get from from Kansas. That's what you're going to get from from Lance and whatnot. And that that's fine. I mean, you know, if you want to play the gamesmanship side of it, that's fine. And and again, I've I've kind of maintained that at this point for me, I'm just going to kind of assume that Jason Bean's probably going to be the guy until literally Saturday morning if something said and you know and and even then, I mean, even then you almost can't even trust that. Because you go back to the Missouri State game where Jalen was announced as a starter, and then here comes Jason Bean to start the game. So uh, I just I'm probably in the boat of, and I've been in the boat of for a while. I'm just gonna wait and see on Jalen Daniels, and if he's out there on Saturday, great. If not, I'm not going to freak out about it because I'm not going to expect it uh, until it actually happens. So, and and again with the Jason Bean discourse, it's 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 with Jason Bean discourse, it's well, you know he. At a ceiling, he can be as good and can and can really, really get the offense rolling, but there's inconsistencies. There's moments where he makes some mistakes that can really hurt you. You go back to the Oklahoma State game, and you saw that. And so, uh, I, I don't know. That's that's just that's just that Jason Bean just is what he is at this point. He is a very, very quality quarterback that certainly has the talent to make big plays and certainly is, has the capability to to have the offense play at a very, very high level, but. He just has some inconsistencies that you don't really see from Jalen Daniels, but again, you can't really hold that against Jason Bean because he's, you know, he he's your backup, right? So that's just that's just kind of is what it is. I'm honestly, I'm kind of over the Jason Bean discourse. Truly, I mean, it's like I said, he just is what he is, right? He's he's a very very quality backup quarterback. I think Jason Bean can go out and win you games if you're Kansas, but. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to have some inconsistencies over the course of a game. He's not going to play. A perfect game. I mean, he can be really, really great. Throw for over five, throw for over four hundred yards and five touchdowns, and he'll still make some mistakes that can that can hurt you. Uh, that's just that's just how it goes. Um, and if he plays a really, really great game, and the defense steps up a little bit, you can win. I mean, I think you, go to the, you look at the Oklahoma State game again. Jason Bean played a fantastic game. If the defense gets a couple stops, okay, he probably wins the game. So that's certainly not why. Uh, that's certainly not why Kansas lost, right? I mean, you can point to some specific plays where Jason Bean, like I said, again, didn't really help the situation, but it wasn't, I don't think it was, I mean, you can't you can't really dog him too much for the game against Oklahoma State. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens against Oklahoma. Jason Bean was, was uh, again, you look at the, you look at Jason Bean, a perfect, a perfect encapsulation of uh, Jason Bean would be going back to last season against Oklahoma, in which he ended up putting up, pretty big numbers but he made some interceptions and and uh you know ended up ha- having KU sort of in the game down down 10 late and losing by 10 but but with the way the defense was playing he was not going to win you the game. So if you want Jason Bean to win you a game if you're Kansas, you need him to play well on top of your defense and other areas needing to be well. He cannot single-handedly carry you to a win whereas Jalen Daniels maybe might but not with uh, not with Jason Bean. Uh, something that may surprising maybe surprising some other uh, fun with numbers here is uh, Lawrence Arnold actually has 25 catches to lead the team for Kansas, which has been it's been pretty quiet, right? I'd say that's a pretty quiet 25 catches. Uh, nobody else has more than 18 catches, by the way. Luke Grimm is actually fourth on the team in receiving yards right now as well, um, and it seems like it's pretty clear that he and Jalen Daniels have a special connection, whereas it's pretty clear that. Jason Bean and Trevor Wilson have a special connection, uh, and Trevor Wilson has been had sort of a renaissance this season, and along with the fact that Jason Bean has been the starter, I think that's helped out certainly. But 
yeah, uh, Luke Graham has been – he's also been more of a red zone guy even when even in games where Jalen Daniels has been healthy. So maybe that's not so surprising. But, yeah, Lawrence Arnold quietly having a, a pretty solid season at this point. I mean, on pace for just under 50 receptions, that would certainly lead the team. So, well, you know, that'll be something to keep an eye on. How much do the wide receivers get involved for Kansas in this game against Oklahoma? Uh, and what kind of strategy is Kansas going to have? Are they going to try to run the ball more? Are they going to try to pass the ball more? And on the note of KU rushing, their three worst games by yards per carry were their three worst games of the season uh, offensively when you when you really look at it. Their three worst games uh, by yards per carry were Oklahoma State, Nevada, and Texas. Two losses and a near loss against one of the worst teams uh, in the entire country. Just 3.1 yards per carry for, Oklahoma, for KU against Oklahoma State. 3.6 yards per carry against Nevada. Five yards per carry against Texas. Every other game this season for Kansas, they've had six yards per carry or higher. So that's been really indicative of how successful the offense has been as, as, as in, in total as if they've been able to really establish the running game. And it's been indicative of, of the outcomes of the games really for Kansas as well. So um, can they get that run game going against, against Oklahoma? And again, this is an Oklahoma defense that is experiencing uh, a bit of a, a bit of a resurgence under Brett Venables. It seems like they've started to figure some things out on defense right now. They're a scoring defense, 16.1 points per game. That's best in the Big 12. Uh, their rushing defense is top five in the Big 12, fourth in the Big 12. Their passing defense has not been great, ninth in the Big 12. But uh, they've they've certainly been a lot better, I think. And certainly, I think they were hoping to be a lot better uh, as well. So, all right, that's a little bit of fun with numbers here with KU football ahead of the Oklahoma game coming off of the bye. And, of course, big noon kickoff coming to Lawrence as well on Saturday for homecoming. So Derek and I are going to be out at Big Mill, by the way, on Saturday morning from 830 to 930 at the corner of 9th and Mississippi for our pregame show from 830 to 930. And uh, the Kiss crew from our sister station, 105.9 Kiss, will be there from 830 to 1030 ahead of the game with some fun prize giveaways, including gift cards and more. So come stop by and say hi to us from 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning on Saturday morning ahead of the KU football game. We'll take a timeout right now. When we come back, I want to touch on a little KU volleyball, and Josh Briscoe of 810 and the Zone is going to join us in less than 15 minutes here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk to break down the Chiefs as well. That's up next here on RCST. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is on a vacation today, but the show rolls on. And after a big win by the Chiefs, I'm joined by Josh Briscoe of co-host of The Zone and also Only Weird Games on Kansas City Sports Network as well at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Josh, the burning question on everyone's mind that I just have to ask right off the top, is the Chargers fan a plant? Is she a plant? <laughs> so I saw that she had the Buffalo Wild Wings hat, and I think that's just her getting the bag from B-dubs. So I, I very, very slightly lean toward the end of not a plant um, but just something even more rare, which is a passionate Los Angeles Chargers fan. Yeah, it's almost hard to believe. And, and yeah, I mean, I guess if she is a real fan, you can't really be too upset or too upset that she's trying to go out there and, and, you know, get the bag like you said, right? Absolutely. No, look, that's, that's something that I just thought at this point in America, at this point in capitalism, I thought we all agreed that if Buffalo Wild Wings ever called us, said, wear this hat and we'll pay you money and maybe fly you to a game, 
I thought we all agreed that we would all do that. Like, I, I'm telling you, I will do that. If B-Dub wants to sponsor this segment, I'll, I'll be here every week. I'll wear the hat, whatever. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I am fully okay with that. And I'm also fully okay with her having dual citizenship with the Vikings and Chargers because those, those are two miserable existences. So uh, there, there's no front running there. I, I support her, even though I have forgotten her name at this point. <laughs> yeah, me too, honestly. What's not miserable or wasn't miserable in the game uh, on Sunday was the Chiefs' offense. They seem to be sort yeah. of back, I guess. So, what was the biggest thing you think that made them really click in this game against Los Angeles? Well, look, I, I know Brandon Staley gets a lot of grief for some things that I don't necessarily think he really deserves. A lot of the analytical stuff, the fourth down aggressiveness, all of that, um, at least earlier on in his coaching career, that was, I, I think, unfair criticism for the most part. I don't know what to tell you about him looking completely, completely perplexed by the fact that the Chiefs have this Yeti wearing number 87 named Travis Kelsey, who just is occasionally wide open when they occasionally, you know, put their entire defense with their heels on the first down marker in a way that Patrick Mahomes can scramble for a huge first down. So many things the Chargers did defensively with Brandon Staley as a defensive head coach. It, it was giving the Chiefs opportunities to do things they hadn't done yet this year, but that, that's also maybe the super micro way of looking at just that game because when you look at what it means for the Chiefs' offense for a vintage Travis Kelsey game, a MVS broken play touchdown, and Rasheed Rice looking like a real honest-to-goodness part of this offense in a way that we've been kind of seeing him step towards inch closer and closer. Those are the things that I think are more important in the big picture, but I do think the Chargers just absolutely stepped in it a few times themselves also. Well, Brandon Staley clearly must not have known that Taylor Swift was in attendance because when Travis Kelsey is left to his own devices, he's just an average tight <laughs> right? So that's the thing. And also, I got to say, like, I, I think CBS got it figured out yesterday. Like, the cut around the fans, and, oh, look at some Chiefs fans, and, oh, is that puppet lady? And, oh, it's the most famous woman in the world with Brittany Mahomes screaming or being very concerned about Travis Kelsey's health. Like, I, I thought they hit a real nice equilibrium yesterday. And, uh, yeah, like Andy Reid said, as long as Travis Kelsey keeps playing like that, she should, she should show up to any game she wants for the rest of time, and I'll be perfectly happy. Yeah, my big takeaway from that was that Taylor Swift clearly does maybe not fully understand football quite yet because there yeah, was a couple yeah. plays where she seemed genuinely concerned and it's like, that's just a regular play. Yes, the most routine play of all time of just like Travis Kelsey going up and then coming down, not even awkwardly, not even getting landed on. She, I, I'm dead serious. If you just saw her reaction, you would have thought that Travis Kelsey got shot on the football field. <laughs> like, it was a, a, a real horror in her face. And then it, that, that clip that I, I tweeted out is just my favorite thing in the world. So she's, like, terrified and, then you know, hands over mouth, gasping, while Brittany Mahomes is waiting, cursing, seeing the flag, cheering, all before Taylor appears to figure out exactly kind of how serious it is or isn't. Um, if anyone, I have a, I don't think most of my close friends, especially from like high school and stuff, are not sports people. And so that experience, I genuinely just like treasure. I think it's hilarious and a very pure like, oh yeah, we all forget that football is ridiculous. And when you get a person from outside of the football world who hasn't just been sorting red zones since they were 12, this game really is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And then you think about this game against the Chargers for the Chiefs. They had a couple of guys... Coming back, you had Charles Emenu, I guess, sort of coming back from a suspension, but I guess technically it was his Chiefs debut, and then Nicole Hardman. Uh, first off, is the Nicole Hardman trade back already a success? Ooh. Um, 
the, the one thing, and this is so nitpicky that I know people are annoyed by it, but like this is this matters, is the idea that, that trading for Hardman ultimately could cost the Chiefs a fifth round compensatory pick in this upcoming draft really does kind of bug me just because it's kind of an unforced error a little bit, or at least just consider that in the, the math of it all. So it's the pick swap thing and the fifth round pick. I don't know that I would have given up a fifth round pick to make that happen. I also do think there is really something. We talked about this on the zone today. Uh, something about a receiver who is comfortable in his own skin, comfortable in the offense, comfortable in what he's asked to do, and also has just that, like, jovial, ready-to-gas-everybody-up kind of energy. McCole Hardman has that. And, and there are other guys in this roster who might. I, I MVS is sort of like the, the professional in my eyes. And Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore and Canarius Tony, none of them are, are fully, fully settled in their roles. So I, I think it's got to be really hard to, as Eric Bieniemy would say, let your beautiful personality show. It's hard to do that when you don't necessarily feel completely comfortable in your role yet. So I, I really do think that there are some intangible things and some tangible things that, that make that trade worth it, yeah. Yeah, that is, that is an interesting point, you know, because you think about it, I mean, for those young receivers – I wonder how much pressure they feel just from playing with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, I mean, you're playing with yeah. the greatest player ever, probably. There's got to be some pressure probably they're feeling as well, right? Yeah, like, the, the crazy thing, and this makes me feel older, and you're younger than me, so this may not hit you as hard, but I'm sure there's some people who are about to drive into a ditch, so everybody be careful. Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore were born in the year 2000. Like, the, these are 23-year-old dudes who are in the, the hottest spotlight in the NFL, which has now become maybe the hottest spotlight in entertainment on some level. And you are receivers who, you know, even blocking out the noise of all of the off the field stuff and all the Taylor Swift and everything, you on a day-to-day basis are getting coached up by Andy Reid, receiving passes from Patrick Mahomes with, with an intensity in the goal here of a team that is expecting to win the Super Bowl again. Not that it's a foregone conclusion, but like that is the goal in a way that has been achieved you know, in February, eight months ago, they did it. They want to do it again in four months from now. So I, I really do think there is a pressure to that that we may not fully comprehend. Um, I don't, and frankly, I don't think we can comprehend because some guys are going to handle it in different ways. Rasheed Rice really does seem to be handling it extremely well. But yeah, I mean, it's not like Sky Moore's coming from Western Michigan. Rasheed Rice is coming from SMU. So I, I really do think there is a part of all of that that's really hard to, to gauge before kind of the, the bleep hits the fan, if you will. And um, seeing these guys take some positive steps that way, I'm, I'm really, really excited about You look at the defense for the Chiefs and just how great they've been. I mean, you think about the second half for the Chargers. They really were unable to do anything. Charles Amenehue, I mentioned, comes back and, and, and gets a sack as well. I guess to, to you, what, what makes this defense click right now? What is making them play at this such a high level that we've ne- really never seen in the Patrick Mahomes era? It's a good question because the the last uh, six games, and really not even counting week one, I suppose, but what we've seen so far, what we're about to see, I'm actually excited for different reasons. Uh, I think the reason it's been so good so far has largely been because of the secondary and Chris Jones. And that's actually unfair to skip over the linebackers because they might be the best group of linebackers in football. And I don't even back completely off of that. Even with the news of Nick Bolton's injury, uh, I think Jim Tranquil did an excellent job in Nick Bolton's stead last time. I think he's going to do it again. But the, the biggest thing is that Trent McDuffie is a, a blue-chip player right now. I mean, he, he barely – he's like 20 games into his career now because he missed so much of last year. And um, I don't have the actual number in front of me, but it was, it was around uh, – you know, he missed like five games, I think, last year. So he had the playoff games and now the games this season. But he's still really, really young and he 
make stuff look easy that is in no way easy. That's all with Legereus Sneed being the guy who's followed number one receivers some this year and is also excellent in his own right with great depth all the way behind those guys. The safeties have been very good. Justin Reed had a couple of bad moments yesterday. He's had a couple of bad moments this season. He's had more good ones. There, there is just a lot of talent that is around all of those groups. Chris Jones is uh, another level. I mean, a legit defensive player of the year candidate once again. And all of that is with Steve Spagnuolo having most of those guys in year two at least, which crazily does not include Drew Tranquil, who is now, again, like the Mike Lines back until Christmas, basically, at least. But all of that gelling, it was, it was fascinating to hear Justin Reed back in, like, training camp. He said that the Chiefs defense, he didn't feel completely, completely comfortable until, like, it was the Bengals' regular season game. It was, like, week 13 or something when he really felt comfortable. Well, now they feel comfortable. They're adding more things. They're showing more looks. And you mentioned his name. I think there's another gear coming with Charles Minahu. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, very possible, right? It feels like maybe he's just scratching the surface. And you touched on the Nick Bolton situation, and, and I kind of maintained, I think a lot of the attention went to Charles Menehue in the offseason with that signing, but I would kind of thought that Drew Tranquil might end up being maybe the, the biggest signing for this defense in the offseason. And now with, with Nick Bolton dealing with injuries, it feels like that might come true. Just how big of a signing do you think that was for Drew Tranquil, and, and how important do you think he's going to be now to this defense? Let me, let me tell you what I was thinking when I saw the news at first, and then God let me explain why, because it's going to sound like I'm an idiot, which I don't need any help with usually. But when I saw the Drew Tranquil signing news this offseason, my first thought was, oh, no, why? Because, because I assumed he was going to get a real deal this offseason. I thought he was going to get maybe not paid paid, but that someone would look at him as a modern NFL linebacker and say, hey, let's, let's give Drew Tranquil a two- or three-year deal. And I liked him anyway, but the Chiefs had invested so much in Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, Leo Chanel. It's like, okay, you guys are really tripled down with some premium draft picks on a non-premium position. What are you guys going to pay Drew Tranquil now? And then the deal came out. It's a one-year deal. And I was floored by that and thrilled by that. All of that to say, the value they got Drew Tranquil for, I thought was great immediately. I think he might be the best all-around linebacker on this team so far this year. And that's with Nick Bolton being a really good player, with Willie Gay having a great season. But now, it's not even just Tranquil, who, again, I am so glad is on this team, especially now, yeah, with with Bolton missing a couple games already and going to miss many more. It's huge, because otherwise, I I really don't know what you're talking about at, at Mike Linebacker. I don't know how the Chiefs would adjust to that. And now they're an injury away from, like, being in some kind of scary territory, I think, because Tranquil and Gay are going to be such a huge part of what the defense can do. And, and losing Bolton is a loss. But I don't think it's going to be an enormous fall-off from Bolton to Tranquil, especially when the thing that Bolton kind of gets the most credit for is he's going to have everybody in the right position. He's going to have everything figured out defensively. He's a great communicator on the field. He knows what he's seeing and all of that. That's all, that's all completely real, completely legitimate. But there were no alignment problems with Drew Tranquil out there. They weren't out of position. They, they weren't bad at communicating. And the fact that he, a few games into Steve Spagnuolo's defense, was operating at that level is just another feather in his cap. But, yeah, I, I'm absolutely with you. I think ultimately Charles who is going to be the biggest um, single addition of this offseason because I, I think the impact he's going to have is going to be enormous. But Drew Tranquil fighting for second place is a, a tight battle, and, and I'm like kind of excited to see what the defense looks like with him until Bolton gets back around Christmas. 
Yeah, I mean, you go beyond that, and Los Angeles was using some tempo as well in the game uh, against the Chiefs, and mm-hmm. they didn't seem to have any real trouble there either. So, uh, yeah, yeah, really, really impressive stuff from, from Drew Tranquil. All right, I know you were probably waiting for this, Josh, but uh, we do have some good idea, bad ideas here cooked up. Yeah. Uh, I know you were probably waiting for it. <laughs> Get some pretty good ones here. All right, number one on a good idea, bad idea. Good idea, bad idea, trading two firsts for Patrick Sertan. Oh, it's a bad idea because of the position group and because of the success the Chiefs have. Uh, there might be a couple of guys I'd, I'd start getting curious about trading some picks for, but ultimately I think this this team being able to stay the course to be able to continue to reload with, with young, cheap rookie contracts is going to end up being a really big deal. And I think the Chiefs' defensive backfield is going to continue to be good until the end of time, I suppose, uh, because of how good this coaching staff has been. So I'll say a bad idea. Okay, okay. Good idea, bad idea. Watching every Chiefs game in split screen where CBS keeps switching the audio back and forth. <laughs> a horrendous idea. Uh, an absolutely offensive idea. Scott Hansen had to be uh, you know, rolling in his grave except for he's very much alive and well. Um, that was a disaster. And, and I understand like maybe, maybe they contractually felt like they needed to carry the, the end of the, the Colts-Browns uh, game. Or maybe it was just like, hey, we want to show this high-flying ending. When they were like, all right, we're going to go to uh, Gene Steratore now to dissect all of this. Patrick Mahomes is throwing a pass in the silent box. It was just mind-boggling. Horrendous idea. <laughs> I-, I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. I, I loved being able to not know which wh- who was talking when and what was going on. I thought it was awesome. That <laughs> uh, was great. All right, good, good idea, bad idea. Trading for Taysom Hill so the Chiefs can actually do the tush push and be good Ooh. on third and fourth downs. Okay, now we're cooking. Um, I'm pretty sure his contract is ridiculous, but I'm guessing that trading it would probably ease it up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to say intriguing idea. You know, I'd like to call him the Saints. I will say, honestly, I don't think it would make them go to the tush push. I think the tush push is more uh, about the, the uh, Eagles' offensive line than anything else. That's why not everyone is doing it automatically. But Taysom Hill to come in and run some of the gadget stuff instead of Blake Bell or Noah Gray or whatever. Um, yeah, the Chiefs already have, like, four gadget players, but none of them are quite like Taysom Hill. So I'm, I'm going to say a call the Saints idea. Let's, let's talk this one out. All right, good idea, bad idea. The, so earlier in the year, there was some discussion about, uh, I remember most famously it was, like, the Jets. There were people saying the Jets should trade for Kirk Cousins. Good idea, bad idea. The Chargers should trade for Kirk Cousins to save their season. Bad idea. Bad idea. Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert desperately needs them to just stop leaping around, let this season wrap up. I don't, fire Brandon Staley and you get a chance to. Um, I don't know why Justin Herbert seems like he does always kind of like have some sort of injury he's playing through and, and it seems to affect him. I, I am still bullish on Justin Herbert, even if I'm the last one in Kansas City to be there. All right. The Jets should, though. The Jets actually should. <laughs> All right, so we'll say good idea for the Jets, bad idea for the Chargers. Um Good idea, bad idea. Asking Taylor Swift if she can help fund the Chris Jones deal this next offseason. I mean, at the very least, we got to see if she's interested in, in the new Royal Stadium, right? I mean, that thing, we were supposed to have like a site picked out for that like a month ago. And I just, I just, I just realized right now we have not gotten any further update since that statement about it not happening yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, if, if Clark Hunt wants to share a little, a little, stake there and, and see if uh, if Taylor can get a little extra cash flow going, I would say that's a great idea. Well, why can't we just get her to, like, do some sort of donation where, you know, it kind of goes under and it just, I don't know, you surely can work it out somewhere. Ooh. Yeah, 
there's definitely there's definitely no way the NFL is going to try to lock down on that. I think we just but here's the thing though. Here's the thing. I was being sarcastic. Now I'm thinking about it. The NFL wants Taylor Swift around. Maybe she should start making some demands. Yeah. No. I, let me go ahead and get involved, like some sort of uh, shadowy figure, third party kind of deal, and, and let's get the deal done. I, I actually like this a lot. Okay. Great idea. Great. It's a great idea. I'm sorry that I was slow on the come up on that, but I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I think any idea involving Taylor Swift, honestly, is great. I, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. It's a great idea. Uh, all right. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> Good idea, bad idea. Following Josh Briscoe on Twitter. Oh, horrendous idea! I, there's, I, there's a lot of social media platforms now, and I keep like thinking, oh, maybe I'll get to another one. I'm still on Twitter, but I don't know if it's a good idea or not. Um, it might be a good idea to, you know, check out the Zone on 810. It might be a good idea to check out Only Weird Games on KCSN or ArrowheadReport.com. But being on Twitter at this point, even to follow me, is honestly a pretty bad idea. Well, Josh, I think well, everything you just outlined is a great idea. And once again, thanks so much for your time and your <laughs> wonderful insight on the Kansas City Chiefs. Dude, happy to do it anytime. Thanks, man. Have a good day. You too. All right, that was Josh Briscoe of 810 The Zone, Coast of the Zone, and also Only Weird Games on KCSN. Shout out to Josh. Thanks so much for coming on the show. One hour down, two to go. We're going to get to our Case of the Mondays. We'll get more into some Chiefs talk as well later on in the show. Also going to break down some of the other matchups around that happened around the Big 12 on the football field over the weekend, despite KU being on the bye. That's all coming up next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. you freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson, on vacation today. So uh, I guess I'm having a case of the Mondays since I'm just all by my lonesome. I'm sure Derek probably not having a case of the Mondays uh, <laughs> with the day off. Coming up later on in the show, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the other matchups around the Big 12 on, on football over the weekend. Also get some more, a little bit more Chiefs Chargers and some KU Oklahoma early thoughts. Plus, Lance Leipold sat down with the media uh, earlier today, and we'll have that press commentario coming up later on in the show as well. Also, just a reminder, we'll have Hawk Talk with Ray Bichard uh, tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Hawk Talk with Lance Leipold to, on Wednesday night at 6. High School Sports Weekly will be on Thursday night at 6 right here on KWN. And High School Football with uh, our – we're going to – I think the plan is for us to have two video streams of both Lawrence High and Free State High. So we're going to have simulcasts of – uh, Lawrence High on KWN, Free State on our sister station, 92.9 The Bull. But both those games are going to be available to watch and stream online at KLWN.com. Free State, the seventh seed in the playoffs. Lawrence High, the sixth seed in the playoffs. So uh, do or die time for both those teams. Both those games will be on Friday night. Uh, so you'll definitely want to listen and watch both of those matchups for Lawrence High and Lawrence Free State. All right, let's get into our case of the Mondays here on this Monday. First up on Case of the Mondays, knowing what a fair catch signal is. Oh, my gosh. One of the – I mean, this weekend, I, I can almost say Case of the Mondays for officials. There were so many just 
bad, weird calls that just did not make any sense. But uh, the most notably was the, the fair catch signal uh, in the Iowa-Minnesota game. So if you weren't watching the Iowa-Minnesota game, which, first of all, I can't blame you for not watching it because it that that game, any game involving Iowa, sets football back by many, many years. So Iowa is down 12-10 to 10 late in the game. Minnesota punts. And the punt returner for Iowa, the punt is, it was a pretty good punt, actually. It was punted towards the sideline. And the Iowa punt returner is pointing to the ball. You'll, you'll see punt returners do this a lot where they will point and to let the their to let their their blockers know, watch out for the ball, make sure the ball doesn't, you know, bounce and hit you or whatever. And he was pointing. He was pointing to the ball saying, hey, you know, watch out, guys. It took a bounce and he picked it up. I believe he picked it up. And ran with it and ended up scoring a touchdown. Ran it back for ran the punt back for a touchdown. I was going crazy. They were down twelve to ten late in the fourth. They just taken they you know they take the lead on the punt return. Everyone's going crazy, and then it all gets overturned and come back because the officials claim that that was that the Iowa punt returner pointing was a punt return fair catch signal and therefore everything was erased. Uh, it was. It was truly one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I don't. Ha- I don't understand. I mean, I mean, just use common sense. It shouldn't be that hard to figure out if the guy is using the, par- the the fair catch signal. It's either he's waving his arm in the air to signal fair catch, or he's not. I don't. I, it seems like an open and shut case to me. But I mean, just a terrible call. Obviously, Iowa's offense had no chance of scoring to go down and actually win the game, and so they ended up losing. Uh, that was their only chance to win. <laughs> was was on a punt return for touchdown. So. Uh, it was just an atrocious call. And then, actually, the same thing happened again in the Tennessee-Alabama game. In the Tennessee-Alabama game, in a similar, not quite the same situation, but Alabama had just scored a touchdown. I don't even remember what the score was at this point. Tennessee is going to field the kickoff. Alabama kicks it off, and the Tennessee had two kickoff returners back deep. One of them catches it at like the three-yard line and runs it out to return the kick. Gets tackled like the 25-yard line. It's all good. Then, tweet, tweet. Nope, here come the officials. Actually, as it turned out, the officials claimed that the other kickoff returner, so not the guy that caught the ball, the other returner, had signaled for a fair catch, and therefore, it's dead. It's done. Even though he wasn't the one that caught it. And then on the replay, they showed once again, it was the same situation where the kickoff returner on the other side for Tennessee... He was not, and in fact, signaling for a catch at all. He was like, it looked like he was pointing to direct the blockers uh, for Tennessee, or to like kind of pointing and, and letting the blockers know what was going on. So, you know, just kind of pointing. And the officials deemed that, again, to be a fair catch signal. And Tennessee went from starting at their own 25 to their own four. Uh, and it, it was just. It was just ridiculous. I mean, it was just utterly ridiculous. I don't know what the official rule states, but there needs to be some sort of clarification or some sort of somebody needs to take a look at that because it was horrible. The Iowa one obviously directly affected the game, and the Tennessee one, they ended up starting at their own four instead of the 25 or whatever, and it was it, it totally changed the course of that possession certainly for Tennessee and uh yeah, it was it was a disaster. So Knowing what a fair catch signal is is on case of the Mondays because I have no idea now. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, just just atrocious, just just terrible. And again, lots of bad calls. We'll get into some more with the Big Twelve breakdown, but lots of bad calls all across uh, <laughs> all across 
the college football and even the NFL landscape. And speaking of the NFL, Case of the Mondays for once again, this could be on Case of the Mondays literally every damn Monday. Case of the Mondays for knowing what a catch is. You go to the Chiefs game, you watch the Chiefs game, Blake Bell has what appeared to be clearly a pass that he had broken up, was somehow ruled a catch and a fumble recovered by the Chargers. Again, it did not make any sense. The catch by by Bell, you could see he had it, and he never really possessed it with two hands, and then he didn't even like really try to tuck it or anything. Gets knocked out. It's a fumble. I I I I don't understand. Then you go to then you go to the Browns and Colts game. Oh, don't even get me started. There there was tons of terrible calls in that game. Where uh, another situation where it looked like a guy fumbled. It turns out it was an incomplete pass that could have ended the game. I mean, just a just a a disaster class by by officials at both the college and NFL levels over the course of the weekend. I mean, knowing what a catch is, knowing what a fumble is, knowing what a fair catch is, lump it all together on case of Mondays. I mean, it it was bad. And listen, you know, I'm not normally a guy that likes to just openly bash on officials or openly, you know, be negative towards officials, but but dude, like I mean, it just it just doesn't make any sense. It feels like there's it feels like common sense has been totally removed from you know how how some of these calls are officiated or how how it works. I mean, it was bad. There was another there was another play in the Chiefs game where Justin Ross got called for an OPI and then later in the game the exact same thing happened with the Chargers and it was not called at all. So I, I don't know. I will say this though. Uh, just one quick note on the on the Chiefs Twitter stuff. I I don't really care to engage in the oh, but the Chiefs get all the calls talk one way or the other. Like I just, it's exhausting, man. It's exhausting. It really is. Uh, so I just kind of sit that one out. All right, case of the Mondays for people trying to shoot over Victor Wembanyama. Wembanyama. The season hasn't even started yet for the NBA, by the way. It starts tomorrow night. I'm pretty sure. Uh, tomorrow night's opening night for the NBA, and Victor Wembanyama is already just insane, an absolute freak of nature, just blocking guys shooting threes, but he makes it look so effortless. It doesn't make any sense. It's the physics of it. Don't even like just watching it like breaks my brain watching him do, do, do things like that. Uh, and then on top of that, he's net nagging people, but there was actually one, a particular shot, a picture that I saw of uh, Andrew Wiggins getting his getting his three point shot or long two three point shot getting blocked by the women Yama. It just uh again it, it doesn't the physics of it don't make any sense. The just the 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 math, the geometry, whatever, however you want to describe it, it literally does not make any sense. Uh I it, it breaks my brain. It's incredible uh, what what this guy can do and it seems like he might be as good, if not better, than what everyone seemed to think he was going to be because he looks he looks pretty phenomenal. He looks pretty phenomenal, and for him to do, to for him to be doing the stuff that he's doing, is is just insane. I think the biggest thing now is just you just wish that he stays healthy because he's just a an incredible, incredible freak talent that has a very high basketball IQ and can do things that have never has never been seen before, ever, in the history of basketball. I think honestly, I think it's safe to say at this point, uh, considering his handles. His ability to, to, to block, playing defense, looking like prime MJ out there on defense. It's it's insane. So case of the Mondays for people trying to shoot over Victor Wembenyama. Uh case of the Mondays for people who thought who thought 
the Detroit Lions were good. Uh, they got absolutely blasted by the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar Jackson was phenomenal. You look at his numbers, absolutely absurd. And the Ravens just completely obliterated them from start to finish. It was 28-0 at half, 35-0 going to the fourth quarter. Just an absolute demolition. And what is what? But what's I think what's most absurd about this is is that for the Lions, they get blasted like this by the Ravens, and they still are gonna have they still have like a three-game lead on the rest of their division. I mean, the Packers stink. The Bears stink. Well, they might actually be good now with uh, Tyson Tyson Bajan. They might actually be good. Uh, and then the Vikings stink. So it's it's incredible. I mean, the Lions. I, I don't know. I have a hard. I don't know. I I don't. I don't think they're that good. I mean, you look at their schedule. They win against the Chiefs. Whatever. No Kelsey. No Chris Jones. They lose against the Seahawks on the, uh, at home. And look at their other wins. The Falcons at home, a stinky team. The Packers on the road, a stinky team. The Panthers, the worst team ever. And the Bucks, a team that's probably bad to slightly below average. And then they just get they just get destroyed by the, by the Ravens. But then you look at their upcoming schedule. They have the Raiders at home. They'll probably win that because the Raiders are bad. They go at the Chargers and after a bye. And th- depending on where the Chargers are at there, that, that might be a game you probably can chalk up as a win. Then you go at home against the Bears, at home against the Packers, at the Saints, and then at the Bears, and then versus the Broncos at the Vikings. I mean, they, they could legitimately win 12 to 13 games uh, on this schedule. I mean... The only team with a winning, the only team with a winning record they play the rest of the season is the Cowboys, and they play them the second to last game of the season. So I, I, I think the Lions are not that good, but they're gonna, I mean, just going through their schedule, jeez, man, it's it's insane. So I don't know, maybe they get exposed when they get to the playoffs, but yeah, case of the Mondays for people who thought the Lions were were actually really good, or people who thought. Travis Goff, or not uh, Travis Goff, Jared Goff. I always get them mixed up. Travis Goff, Jared Goff. Jared Goff uh, threw 53 times, an interception, no touchdowns. Uh, Yeah. Kind of rough for the Detroit Lions. Case of the Mondays for Michigan. Now, this is a wild, ongoing story. Pete Thamel actually just just tweeted out more about this uh, earlier this afternoon about uh, the ongoing story of possible sign stealing by Michigan uh, and the story is pretty wild so basically they're alleging that a Michigan staffer so a member of the Michigan football team as like a you know one of their scouting who I don't know you know whatever title was buying tickets to games to Big Ten football games transferring them to different people who were then but so he was buying tickets specifically between the 40s and up high enough in the stadium to which you could see the opposing team sideline. And they were, the the allegations are that then they would send out people to go sit in those seats, pull out their smartphones, and video the sidelines of the opposing team. And in fact, it's been, it was reported multiple times that, that they would, he would actually buy tickets. The staff would buy tickets on both sides so that they could move around in the game and film both sides. And the, the way they were doing it was, they would not. These were not for Michigan games specifically. 
They would buy tickets for Big Ten games in which the two opponents, the two teams playing, were going to be opponents of Michigan later in the season. Most notably, most recently, this this seems to have happened for the Ohio State-Penn State game this past Saturday. And, of course, Ohio State and Penn State are two teams that are on Michigan's schedule later on in the season. So it's, it would seem as though, you know, let's say let's say Indiana is going to play, you know, I don't know, Penn State. Or Indiana is going to play, you know, whoever. They would, the, I, presumably the allegations are that they would buy tickets to the Indiana-Penn State game. And Indiana and Penn State would both play Michigan later in the season. So they would buy tickets to the Indiana-Penn State game travel there and film both sidelines to use to steal their signs or to figure out what, what what they're doing. What I don't fully understand about this is you are Michigan. You're a top five team in the country. Like, I mean, I guess any way to win, but yeah, no, this is this is pretty rough. And it's, it's definitely a bit of a gray area, I will say, on the NCAA's part. What is not a gray area is they do specifically, NCAA bylaws do specifically say, Hey, you can't film opposing teams' signs at all, ever. Uh, but there is a bit of a gray area because there's nothing specifically in the in the NCAA rules that states about you know science science dealing in games, and you know that's why you'll often see when on on the broadcast if you're watching a game or or if you go to a game, you'll see guys following coaches with those giant like basically tarps on on sticks, essentially is what I would call them where they follow the coaches, and that's obviously to prevent the press box from seeing the signs because in-game, there aren't really any specific rules about it, which is, I think, quite fascinating. But uh, this is a this is certainly something that seems to be going beyond that for Michigan, which is uh, uh, a bit rough. So, uh, yeah, Case of the Monday is possibly for Michigan. And, of course, they're trying to get out from under this other allegations of recruiting issues they had under... Jim Harbaugh, which they suspended. Jim or Jim Harbaugh didn't coach in their first three games against the school of the blind, the school of the deaf, and uh, the, the school of the worst team in the country, so that they could, you know, uh, go three and zero or whatever. So, case of Mondays for Michigan. All right, that's our case of the Monday segment here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to get into some, a little bit of a Big Twelve discussion. I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a closer look and, and recap some of the other. Uh, Big 12 football games that happened on Saturday over the weekend. There was uh, every other team was in action besides Kansas and Iowa State. Those are the two Big 12 teams that were having had a bye. So there was a lot of Big 12 action on Saturday. I want to kind of go through it a little bit uh, and break some of that down. Get more into some Chiefs Chargers later on in the hour. Also going to touch on more KU Oklahoma early thoughts coming up in the five o'clock hour. And also we'll get to that Lance Leipold audio. He sat down and spoke to the media uh, earlier today. We'll get to that coming up later in the show as well. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Almost half past four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is on vacation. He will be back tomorrow. So a little Nick Chuck Sports Talk on, uh, on this Monday here on RCST. And even though Kansas had a bye week, there was quite a bit of Big 12 action happening uh, over the weekend. I want to kind of wanted to dive into a little bit with uh, some very interesting results, really across the whole league. Uh, to be honest, uh, I want to start with the, this this Houston Texas game, and Texas, man, 
first of all, obviously the biggest story is it sounds like Quinn Ewers is going to be out for the next month or so, I think, uh, possibly. So uh, it's, it could be Malik Murphy, could be Arch Manning. Steve Sarkeesian said today that he that he he was kind of wishy-washy on it. He said if the game was today, Malik Murphy would start, but it sounds like there's a possibility that Arch Manning could maybe start. I don't know. So uh, that was a little interesting, but they were they were taking on Houston, uh, a Houston team that it come out coming off a big win against West Virginia, but uh, yeah, the game was really defined late by more <laughs> more bad officiating. Actually, uh, Houston had a third and short with uh, less than two minutes left in the game in the red zone. They they had a run play, and it seemed very clear and obvious uh, that the running back got the line to gain, like very obvious. It seemed like he got more than enough to to, to move the chains. And uh, the officials came back and said, nope, you're marked short. And there was no review or no no seemingly no attempt at anything. And Dana Holgerson talked about it after the game. But So instead of it being a first down for Houston with a chance to go tie the game, down 31-24, it's a fourth and inches, and Houston tries to run a pass play. They get stopped, and the game is over. So Texas... Again, I don't know if you want to say they got bailed out, but mm, I don't know. I don't know. Little questionable there. Uh, so, the, the, it what's wild is I think this past weekend showed that th- th- even the top team. I mean, we we talked a lot about how you want to tear out the Big Twelve. You've got Texas and Oklahoma at the top, and then maybe a small gap, and then probably like Kansas State, maybe Kansas. I guess got to throw. I got to throw Oklahoma State in there now too. But I'm starting to wonder if maybe that gap is even there uh, because both Oklahoma and Texas got really tested by two newcomers uh, in Houston and UCF. So Texas survives, but certainly the trajectory of their season now changes with the possibility of Quinn Ewers being out for an extended period of time uh, with Malik Murphy taking over. And uh, for Texas, they have a game at home against BYU uh, but, of course, the big game that I think a lot of people are going to have circled now is is Texas and Kansas State. That's coming up on uh, on November 4th uh, in two weeks. So suddenly that game looks probably a bit more appetizing from the Kansas State perspective. Uh, it doesn't seem like Quinn Ewers will have any chance of being back by then. But, yeah, the, the te- Texas now goes from being national title or bust to now I think they just maybe they just hope to make the, the playoff, hope to make the Big 12 title game and make the playoff. Uh, so we'll see about that, but they hang on against Houston and Houston showing, you know, showing some fight, showing some fight. Uh, and then uh, a couple of other big results was Oklahoma state really just taking it to West Virginia, especially late. And Ollie Gordon, man, he uh, springboarding off the KU game in which he was really strong, 282 yards on the ground and four rushing touchdowns for him against West Virginia. I mean, just a, another very, very impressive performance. And Oklahoma State is suddenly 5-2, and two, and at 3-1 and one in the conference, they are poised to make a big run. Because if, if, if you remember, the discourse going into the season around Oklahoma State was, wow, their schedule they you know is so soft. They dodged a lot of the top teams in the Big 12 uh, and or got them at home. And, you know, you go, you flash back to them, barely beat, you know, they beat Central Arts by 14. They handle Arizona State. They get blasted at home by South Alabama. They go on the road and lose at Iowa State. They come home against Kansas State, and Kansas State played really bad, but Oklahoma State 
to their credit, you know, took advantage and won the game. And then now they've started. Now they've gone exclusively with Alan Bowman, and you look at the results: three straight wins for them, beating Kansas, and really uh, with Ollie Gordon being pretty dominant, and then again being Ollie Gordon being really dominant against uh, against West Virginia. And so Oklahoma State is sitting at five and two. They have so five games left. They played seven games. They have five games left. Four of those games are against the four newcomers to the Big Twelve: Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU. Between those four newcomers, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, BYU, they have one win over the regular Big 12 teams, and that was Houston beating West Virginia. One win between those four teams over the actual Big 12 teams, over the over teams that are actually in the Big 12. Well, I guess two now. I guess BYU, I forgot, BYU beat Texas Tech. So they have two now. They have two because BYU beat Texas Tech. They have two. Two wins collectively against the rest of the new, against the rest of the old Big 12 teams. And Oklahoma State gets to play all four of them. Their other game is against Oklahoma at home, right? So now you circle you you circle uh, Bedlam as that game. But Oklahoma State now has put themselves in position to have a really legitimate chance of making it to the Big 12 title game, I think. Assuming you win all four of your games against the newcomers, it comes down to that OU game. It comes down to that OU game at home in, in Stillwater. So... Uh, we'll we'll see what happens with that, but yeah, Oklahoma State with a big win against West Virginia, they seem to have figured it out. And, and again, I, I I mean, I still don't think Oklahoma State is is really that great of a team. But also, I'm gonna spin zone that and say that's a great loss for Kansas. I mean, on the road against an Oklahoma State team that could be in the Big Twelve title game, great loss for Kansas. So uh, I'll definitely spin zone that one. But yeah, Oklahoma State seemingly, it's almost like going with one quarterback works and is really smart and going with three is really stupid and not intelligent who would have thought not me certainly not me so uh yeah oklahoma state take, gets a big win against west virginia and and the, the steam seems to be taken out of west virginia season i mean they started off really hot they seem to have kind of fallen off and speaking of teams that have fallen off or have never really been in it texas tech byu beats them uh in provo 27 to 14 and you know you feel bad for Texas Tech they're on to a freshman quarterback uh with the injuries they've been dealt but man I mean everyone was picking Texas Tech as their dark horse candidates to make a run at the Big 12 title to you know be a, kind of a, a really really quality team and boy fallen flat on their faces started the season one in three they win against Houston they win against Baylor they go at Kansas State and can't stop a fly in the run game against Kansas State. And then against BYU, they just really got suffocated and, and dominated. And obviously, again, feel bad because they are on their, their third-string true freshman quarterback in Jake Strong with Baron Morton getting hurt and obviously Tyler Shuck getting hurt. And uh, Yeah, so that's – it's yeah, I feel a little bit bad, but not that bad because I was never really that high on Texas Tech, and now they are – they have sh- they are have shown to be a bad to really not good team uh, in the Big 12. Another team that has shown that they are bad to really not good is TCU. I mean, they just got absolutely annihilated by Kansas State in Manhattan on Saturday night. It was not even a contest from the beginning. Kansas State completely destroyed them. TCU had no answers, couldn't score a touchdown, couldn't do anything. They lose 41-3. to And Kansas State, 
seems to have maybe recovered from their from their loss to Oklahoma State, right? So now you look at the Big 12 standings, and I think you've got Oklahoma and Texas, who I think I would still put one and two. Kansas State now probably three, and then Oklahoma State probably four with Kansas, I think probably there as well. I don't know. I mean, obviously we'll have to see what, what the Jayhawks can do against Oklahoma this Saturday, but I think Kansas is still there. I think they're still probably there as number five. I mean, I don't know who you would put above them after those four uh, because Kansas beat BYU, so they obviously have the have the leg up there. Baylor's not very good, even though they did win at Cincinnati. UCF, Kansas annihilated. Houston, not very good. West Virginia, shown to be not very good. TCU, terrible. Texas Tech, terrible. I think Kansas is pretty clearly the fifth best with obviously a chance to go much higher if they can beat Oklahoma uh, on Saturday. But And then, of course, that Oklahoma game uh, as well against UCF where Oklahoma hangs on. Uh, I think there was there was uh, some questionable calls in that game late that favored Oklahoma as well as uh, UCF tried to, to battle. John Rice Pumley, by the way, unable, still was not mobile, right? Still was clearly not 100% and not himself. But he was very effective in the passing game, and UCF nearly, nearly came away with uh, with what would have been a really great upset for them uh, against Oklahoma. And again, I think that's you've got to feel good about that if you're Kansas. I mean, that's a UCF team that Kansas absolutely dominated, and you know if they're pushing Oklahoma to the wire on the road at Oklahoma, you got to feel pretty good. I will say, I do think it is a big positive that Oklahoma ended up winning the game. I do not think if you are Kansas, you would want to see uh, Oklahoma coming to Lawrence off of a loss at home against UCF. I think that would have been bad. Uh, this, so this is good. This is actually good that they still were able to win the game. Uh, so I think that was was actually better for for KU <laughs> for Oklahoma coming to town. Like I don't, like Oklahoma, they're 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 going to be. I would assume they'll be juiced up for this game against KU regardless. But a loss against UCF, and they would have been literally frothing at the mouth. I mean, it would have been uh, really, really rough. <laughs> really, really bad, uh, I think, for, for KU. So, again, I think it worked out. I think it worked out that uh, <laughs> that OU ended up winning that game against UCF. But, but yeah, I think you have to look at Kansas and say they're the fifth-best team in the Big 12 pretty clearly. I mean, hard to put them above Oklahoma State uh, because Oklahoma State won against you. But I think going into the Oklahoma State game, you felt like Kansas was the better team. So, I think that maybe – you. You know, you say they're four, four, even. I don't know. Kansas State three, Oklahoma and Texas at, at one and two, but but yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Uh, and then you look at the rest of Kansas' schedule, obviously, after Oklahoma at Iowa State, Ames is gonna be tough to win at. But then Texas Tech at home seems like a very, very winnable game. Cincinnati seems like a very, very winnable game. I originally at the beginning of the year projected them to go seven and five. So if you beat Texas Tech and you beat Cincinnati, there's your seven and five, right? And I think and then you go to the Kansas State game at home. That should be a competitive game. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that Kansas can win it or Kansas should win it, but they can, and it could be a competitive game. Now that that's where you get back to that eight and four conversation, uh, potentially. And listen, Iowa State could easily have an Iowa State game where they just absolutely crap the bed and and are terrible. Uh, so every, I think everything's still right in front of Kansas here to go possibly seven or eight wins potentially. And uh, boy, it would be significant if you could pick up this game against Oklahoma as well. All right, we're going to take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, get into a little bit more of the Chiefs-Chargers recap coming up, and then uh, some more KU-Oklahoma early thoughts ahead of homecoming on Saturday, coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Plus, we'll get some audio from Lance Leipold coming up later on in the show as well. 
We'll take a short break here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Coming up later on in the show, we'll get to some more thoughts on KU and Oklahoma. Early thoughts ahead of homecoming coming up later on on Saturday. Also want to get to some Lance Leipold audio. He spoke with the media earlier today uh, about the KU uh, game against Oklahoma coming up. Touched on big noon Saturday. Touched on uh, some of the injury updates for Kansas, including an update on Jalen Daniels. Uh, that all uh, coming up with Lance Leipold audio later on in the 5 o'clock hour. So the Kansas City Chiefs knock off the Los Angeles Chargers 31-17. to The Chiefs offense back uh, looking good. Uh, the boys playing well. Travis Kelsey has a heck of a game uh, for the Chiefs. 12 catches, 179 yards for Kelsey uh, with Taylor Swift in attendance. Taylor Swift has uh, seemingly created a secret handshake with Brittany Mahomes. Taylor Swift also seemingly may need to be educated a little more on football and what's going on. Um, they still have a couple shots of her, but all, in, all around, really, really great win for the Chiefs. And uh, probably a knockout blow for the Chargers on their season, I would think. Uh, they just, man, they just, I don't know, they just don't have the juice, man. They just do not have the juice. Because the Chiefs, in the in the second half especially, I mean, I think that they really need to tip the cap to the defense for the Chiefs here. Because in the second half especially, I mean, this was really a tale of two halves. The first half was just nonstop scoring. Now the defense can really figure things out. Uh, 35 points scored between the two teams in the second quarter. Mahomes had, all, I think, 300 yards passing at the half. Uh, it was just uh, insane numbers and uh, really a wild second quarter specifically. And then he moved to the second half and totally opposite. The second half was really a defensive battle. And credit to the Chiefs because they did, uh, you know, it was 24-17 for a while, and the Chargers definitely had their fair share of chances to try to move the ball and, and maybe tie the game up and they couldn't do it. The Chiefs' defense was just really, really outstanding, and then eventually the Chiefs do get a late touchdown to really kind of put things away. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the big story is the, the Chiefs' defense, outstanding. Charles Amenhew comes back, makes an impact. We'll see what he can do going forward. Uh, obviously, the the loss of, of Nick Bolton, I think, is significant, but you were, you were without him already, and Drew Tranquil stepped in and, and was very, very good in his stead, so... I you know I don't want to I don't want to understate the loss of Nick Bolton, but at the same time, when you know you have a guy like Drew Tranquil ready to step in and that signing being so significant, uh, that makes you feel a lot better, right? It makes you feel a lot better. Now, obviously, if you suffer more injuries, you could have some more problems. But but uh, Nick Bolton, by the way, uh, dislocated wrist, I believe, is the official report, uh, could be out for two months. So you're looking at you know probably after Christmas. So the good news for the Chiefs is that. Nick Bolton would be back in time for basically the you know the last couple games of the season into the playoffs, uh, potentially, which which would be significant for them to have him back. Hopefully, uh, for the for the playoffs, right? So, but yeah, that was a really big story. The two halves, the defense outstanding in the second half. You look at the offense. Mahomes was masterful. He had the one interception that was kind of rough, but other than that, he was he was perfect. Yeah, I I mean, it it blows. I mean, listen. I have been a lifelong Chiefs fan. Love the Chiefs. And I watch the Chiefs, obviously. As a Chiefs fan, I am starting to become angry when I watch Chiefs games 
when opposing teams don't even attempt to cover Travis Kelsey. Like, it makes me angry. It makes me mad when I have to sit there and watch Travis Kelsey be 15 yards open like every play. I mean, I can't, I don't, I don't understand how, how. I don't understand really how it happens. Uh, it's because it's not just the Chargers. I mean, it's every week, man. I, I don't know how he does it. He, he's just a wizard, but it's just so frustrating. I mean, how do you not, how do you not just put two, have just two guys glued to him at all times if you're an opposing team? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I mean, Travis Kelsey again, just getting wide open at at, at for for free at will whenever he wanted. He literally could have done anything he wanted, and he's wide open every time. Uh, and and again, it, it 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 visibly. I was like visibly upset that the Chargers weren't even trying to cover arguably the greatest tight end of all time in the history of the NFL and a guaranteed Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl champion, hopefully more Super Bowls on the way for him. It just it just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make it. And, and, and again, you know, Travis Kelsey, he's, he's 34 years old. And I think for wide receivers slash tight ends, that's, that's kind of, you're now exiting really your prime years, I think, once he gets to that age, right? So, it's it's not even like he's you know doing anything crazy. I don't think from an athletic standpoint or from a, but just his his IQ and his understanding of Mahomes. I think also is obviously a big part of it. It just it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Uh, then you have Nicole Hardman. He comes in, made a big third down catch, had a long punt return as well. That was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, I I may have to buy a Nicole Hardman jersey. I don't know. Derek Derek was even texting me about it over the weekend, saying I should I should go and buy a Nicole Hardman jersey. The problem is, though, that now he switched numbers. So now it's like, what do I do? I don't want to, <laughs> you know, he switched numbers. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's tough. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I might do that. I might do that. Uh, this was a game where the, the Chiefs run game was oddly stopped. And, okay, the one thing about this is, and I have I have stated this many times on the record that I don't like talking about it, but, I think I think it's worth talking about because lots of Chiefs fans want to hear about it. Is the Clyde situation? Clyde Edwards Elaire. Why is he on the team? What is he doing? Why is he getting balls? What's going on? And normally I'm I am fairly immune to that because it's just so it's like a it's like white noise to me at this point. It's just it's you just deal with it. And from the complaining from like the fan perspective, like social media itself, it's just again, it's just white noise to me at this point. But I will say I did succumb a little bit because Chiefs are backed up pretty. I think they're like almost in their own end zone at this point, like inside their own 10. First and 10, it's a swing pass to Clyde, and he drops it. Second and 10. Second and 10, Andy comes back and runs HB dive with Clyde for like one yard or whatever. Now it's like third and 10, third and nine, and the Chiefs are at their own six yard line or whatever. And it's like, dude, you just like, like, I don't, well, I don't. Like Andy Reid is a masterful coach, and I I am hard pressed to ever legitimately question anything he ever does because he is fantastic, and I am no one. But what are we doing with Clyde? I mean, what what are we doing seriously? And the thing that always that I always circle back to is I think Andy Reid probably one of his greatest traits actually as a coach is that. Even if a guy, he will not go away from somebody or he will not hesitate to continue to call plays for a player if that player is struggling. It's pro- Like I said, it's probably one of the best traits about him, to be honest, is that when a player is clearly having struggles or, or clearly, you know, maybe mentally is just having a bad game or is not there, 
Andy Reid will show confidence always in his guys. He will always show confidence in his players, and he's not afraid to continue to go back to a guy when maybe it ha- he hasn't quite been working as well. You look at the you look at the Chiefs game uh, against the, the Lions with Kadarius Tony earlier this year. Went back to him, right? And it, it feels like Mahomes has also embraced that mentality. It feels like Mahomes has also embraced that. I'm not afraid to go to a guy, no matter what you know, no matter what he did on the last play. I'm not afraid to go back to him. And I, and I I do think it's a it is a very very positive trait generally uh, because it, it keeps guys focused and and it's and it's great because. That you don't you don't want to lose your guys by saying if you screw up once you're not getting the ball again. But I almost drew the line on Sunday with Clyde in that particular sequence where you throw a swing you throw a swing pass to him and he drops it and then you give him the ball again. Like no, no that that uh, just whew, man that that really got to me. But the other thing is is everyone you know fans want to focus on Clyde or the wide receiver problem and. Obviously, the wide receivers were, were really, really good. Rasheed Rice looked really, really good. Even Sky Moore made some plays. MVS had the touchdown. Travis Kelsey, obviously, unstoppable. So a good game overall for them uh, against the Chargers. But, you know, you want to focus on the negative. You want to focus on Clyde, which, by the way, keeping Clyde or cutting Clyde does not do anything. So that that's where I that's where I kind of lose you on the – I mean, it, it, just, it just doesn't do anything, I don't think. So that's where I kind of get lost on the, on the whole Clyde discussion. But what I will say is through all of that, through everything that's been going on, through all the discussion about the Chiefs' offense, what's wrong with the Chiefs' offense? The Chiefs are 6-1 and one and sitting solely atop the AFC with the Bills losing to the Patriots, with the Dolphins losing to the Eagles, okay, but, you know, sure, fine. With the Bengals looking lost, but maybe starting to come back, but they will be in the playoffs, by the way. Keep that in mind. The Chiefs are clear-cut above above the rest. I mean, clear-cut above the rest in the AFC. And we're almost halfway through the season. I mean, that that is incredible. It's a testament to Mahomes. It's a testament to Andy Reid. And it's a testament to the system and the guys in that locker room that clearly believe, that clearly understand the process, that clearly expect to be in the playoffs as a high seed and playing for the Super Bowl. And that's what you want to see. But And it's great because, you know, I think there in the, in the past, in recent years, the Chiefs, you could see that they have that mentality, but you have seen that that mentality has almost taken that away because they were it would seem like they're screwing around or, you know, not finishing games because they just had this mentality of, oh, we're the Chiefs, it's fine, we're going to go in the Super Bowl anyways. Uh, you know, and that, so, but that hasn't been the case this season. So they have, they have that, it's so obvious they have that aura about them that they believe they're the best team, that they believe they're going to be playing for the Super Bowl. But at the same time, that has not led to any overlooking of opponents, any sort of shenanigans, any sort of, you know, things like that, right? And that is very, very impressive. That is very, very impressive. Uh, you know, because when you have a team like this where you do expect to be in the Super Bowl, I listen, I get it. I mean, I would not blame anybody if, you know, it's an 18 game, it's a it's a long long season, 18 week season. I would I don't think I really can blame any. I mean, you look at the Chiefs, they lost to the Colts last year. I mean, you know, but for the Chiefs to do what they've done so far this season has been absolutely incredible. 
we'll see what they do against the Broncos on the road next week or this upcoming week. And then obviously the game I think everyone probably has circled is that Germany game uh, against the against the Dolphins, which that game could have significant impact towards the number one overall seed in the AFC. Uh, and I'll say this about the Dolphins just real quickly. The Dolphins do not scare me in the playoffs. In the regular season, sure, fine, whatever. In the playoffs, they don't scare me. If the Dolphins don't win the AFC East, they have no chance of making the Super Bowl. None. They are not going to win in the playoffs on the road against Baltimore, on the road against Cincinnati, on the road against Kansas City, on the road against Buffalo. If they get to the one overall seed and they get to play in Miami the whole time, okay, now I'm concerned. If they don't win the division, I'm not concerned. Not concerned at all in the slightest about the Dolphins. So, that's my take on the Dolphins. All right, we're going to take a time out here. Two hours down, one to go. We're going to get to some uh, more early thoughts on KU Oklahoma coming up, plus Lance Leipold audio uh, on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson on vacation. We'll be back tomorrow. Coming up in just a few minutes, I'm going to get to some Lance Leipold audio here uh, as he sat down with the media and discussed uh, KU and Oklahoma. In case you missed it, KU getting big noon kickoff coming to Lawrence on Saturday morning ahead of the KU-Oklahoma game for homecoming. So the confluence of a lot of different things for KU here. Homecoming. Big noon kickoff, 11 a.m. game against a top 10 opponent. And we'll see how Kansas handles all of that with the spotlight on them. So now you go back and you get college game day last season, you get big noon kickoff this season. I, honestly, I, I don't I don't know how big big noon kickoff is compared to college game day. Like obviously it's not as big. I don't know. Well, I'll see what, you know, what kind of the reaction is, I guess, to people coming out for for big noon kickoff. I'm I'm not I don't really know. Um and they haven't really exactly announced where they're gonna where they are going to set up quite yet. I don't think uh, so. I have questions about that as well. But still, a very very exciting time. Very very exciting, right? From an optics perspective, from a fan perspective, from a program perspective for KU. But at the end of the day, you got to come out and, and show up and, and play a game against a top ten team that coming off of a win against UCF, but a close win. They might be looking to to prove something uh, coming into Lawrence to take on Kansas. Of course, the Jayhawks have not beaten. Oklahoma since 1997, and this is also, you know, maybe the last time you'll see Oklahoma for a while with them moving to the SEC. So certainly a lot on the line from that perspective. Kansas obviously still trying to battle back and and put themselves maybe back into contention for the Big 12 title race. If they beat Oklahoma, I think you'd have to put them there maybe a little bit uh, if they if they're able to win on Saturday. So uh, Lance Leipold did give an update, which we'll get to that out of you. Uh, here in just a uh, few minutes here. He did give an update on Jalen Daniels. It was the most non-update update of all time is really how I would describe it. Uh, he, In the same sentence, he said that he was optimistic about Jalen Daniels, but then also called him doubtful uh, or slash questionable. So uh, TBD on that, I guess we'll see. I mean, I'm not, I can't really say I'm surprised that that was kind of the, the answer that was given. Uh, as Again, my stance at this point has been I'm just going to expect Jason Bean, and then if Jalen Daniels is out there, fantastic. If not... It's all good. I was expecting Jason Bean anyway. So, and Jason Bean, I think, if you get a similar game out of Jason Bean against Oklahoma as you did against Oklahoma State, and then you get just a, even a little bit better performance from the defense against Oklahoma, I think you might have a legitimate chance. I think you might have a legitimate chance. Uh, you know, Jason Bean definitely gives you a 
a possibility to, to, to win a game like this. So uh, that's what's on the line for Kansas here. They're five and two coming into it. Oklahoma coming in uh, with an undefeated record, obviously. So they, they very, very impressive seven and zero record for Oklahoma. So we'll see. And we'll see how much that UCF game impacted Oklahoma at all, whether it woke them up a little bit more. So they're more juiced for this KU game, or maybe it sowed the seeds of doubt that KU can potentially exploit coming off of the bye week against uh, Oklahoma. So right up in the air there. Derek and I are going to be out at Big Mill on Saturday morning ahead of the game uh, from 8.30 to 9.30 for our pregame show here on KWN. Uh, the KISS crew from 105.9 KISS, our sister station, will be out from 8.30 to 10.30 in front of Big Mill giving away prizes, giving away gift cards, giving away all sorts of fun stuff uh, out at Big Mill. So come stop by, say hi to us on Saturday morning ahead of the KU football game. Although the weather now is looking like it might be a little bit chilly, so that, that's a little bit unfortunate, but... You know, I guess it's can't really complain too much. We're, we are now into late October here, so this is what we should expect. It's maybe a little bit uh, chillier weather. So, so we'll get more into KU and Oklahoma throughout the rest of this week, previewing that matchup as we get closer to kickoff. It's homecoming, obviously. They're going to have a big homecoming event on Friday night as well uh, for KU uh, down on Mastery, I believe. And then, of course, uh, with big new kickoff now coming, there's going to be tons of stuff happening around uh, the hill and around that area ahead of the game on Saturday morning for an 11 a.m. kickoff of KU and Oklahoma. All right, we're going to get to that Lance Leipold audio coming up next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. He had a lot to say, like I said, the Jalen Daniels update, probably most notable. Gave a couple other injury updates, uh, Logan Brown after the season, and uh, talked a little bit more about uh, this matchup against Oklahoma. And it's in a matchup where, uh, from the defensive standpoint, KU has struggled. Offensively, you know, they had a big game against Oklahoma last season, but uh, Oklahoma's defense seemingly a lot better First, first in the conference right now in points allowed per game at just around 16 points per game. So uh, they seem to have improved their defense, and their offense continues to be explosive as always, and that up-tempo style has hurt Kansas in the past, not just with Oklahoma, but with other teams as well. So certainly a lot for Kansas to, to deal with, and we'll continue to dive into that uh, matchup throughout the week, the rest of this week. Also, it was just announced, by the way, that uh, KU is going to have media day with their member with their KU basketball media day. There's Individual media day, that's coming up uh, later this week as well. So we'll have some content from that as well. We're going to take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As I said, Lance Leipold audio coming up next. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so. As you can find the show anywhere, you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.